Psalms 119. It's the middle chapter of your Bible. God is referred to in each verse of this psalm. Every verse but two refers to the Word of God. The theme of this psalm is the written revelation of God to man, which elsewhere is called the Scriptures. This written revelation is called by ten different names in this psalm. It is called God's law, His commandments, His word, His ways, His judgments, His precepts, His statutes, His testimonies, His righteousness, and the truth. Psalms 119. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please, don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you and please don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The author of this psalm speaks from a variety of emotions and situations in which he finds himself. So this means there is something in this psalm to speak to you, wherever you are, in whatever situation you find yourself. In this psalm, the author experiences the full range of human emotions. He feels joy and peace, longing and fear, sorrow and anguish. At times, he feels jubilant, enriched, and comforted, while at other times, he feels faint and withered, wondering when he will find comfort. Yet in every situation and through every emotion, the psalmist views all of it through the lens of God's words, and he clings to the promises that he finds there. Be good to your servant, so that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instruction. I'm only a foreigner in this land. Don't hide your commands from me. I'm always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments so that I can meditate on your wonderful deeds. Teach me your decrees, O oh Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions and I will put them into practice with all of my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands. For that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon, abandon my shameful ways for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. Almost every verse in Psalms 119 is a prayer. The psalmist's life was so centered in the words of God that his prayers were for the word of God, that he might learn it, obey it, grow from it, 
and be blessed by it. So listen to these verses of scripture this morning as Pastor Tom comes. Lord, give me your unfailing love, the salvation that you promised me that I can answer those who taunt me for I trust in your word. Do not snatch your word of truth from me for your regulations are my only hope. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments and I will speak to kings about your laws and I will not be ashamed. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands and I meditate on your decrees. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all of my troubles and the proud hold me in utter contempt. But I do not turn away from your instructions. I meditate on your age-old regulations. O oh Lord, they comfort me. I become furious with the wicked because they reject your instructions. Your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. And I reflect at night on who you are, O oh Lord. Therefore, I will obey your instructions. And this is how I will spend my life, obeying your commandments. So today, won't you consider taking the words and longings of the psalmist to heart? As we cling to God's promises and follow his commands, may we fall more in love with our Savior. Well, thank you, Candace and David. Hey, in your bulletin, you will find a study guide for today. And if you'll grab that and a clipboard and a pen from the book rack, we'll jump into our discussion. Uh, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, thank you for being here today. And then number two, welcome back to our uh, mission team to Guatemala you guys look a little bit tired this morning. Uh, they got in late last night. Jeff, what time did you get home? A little after 11. So I'd already been asleep for an hour and a half at that time. So uh, Glad to have you back. Also, our uh, other mission, I don't know that we can call you a team since you're the only one from our church that went, but Gary Bidney back from uh, Israel. Great to have you back as well. It's always nice to send out people from our church that are doing God's work in different places, assisting and helping and building the kingdom of God all around the world, and how exciting that is to see that taking place. We've been praying for you, and we're glad you're back safely. We know you're tired and worn out, so I'll try to be brief this morning to assist you in that problem, okay? Well, if you've got your notes out, get ready to write. Um, let me invite you to be back this evening. Uh, this evening, we're going to deal uh, with uh, a very special thought from Russ Turner, one of our missionaries, and uh, excited to get to hear from him again tonight. Uh, it's good to have uh, their son, Russ and Lynn's son, Lathan, here, Captain Turner. Good to have you here. Well, uh, we're back to Psalm 119, and we're going to be digging into this passage. 
in a very special way because it enlightens some really important thoughts for us. And in fact, we're going to see that uh, four primary thoughts jump out, and these four thoughts are going to build on one another to bring us to a very, very, very urgent matter when we hit number four. Uh, for me, it was not, that was not where I started my thoughts. I didn't start to come to point number four to think it was the most important. In fact, I thought that the first point was until I got to the fourth point. When I got to the fourth point and started detailing it out and working with it, then I came to realize that here is the message. Here's the, the center point of where God wants us to go today. Now, obviously, there's a lot of message included in the verses we'll deal with, uh, verses 49 through 56. There's a lot of information, a lot of helpful insights. But just for our time together today, God has directed my heart very specifically uh, to this final thought. And I want to, uh, to challenge you when we get there. So be ready for that. If you got your notes out and you're ready to write, put this down. Because number one, David just opens our eyes to see a call to remember. Number one, a call to remember. Now, interestingly, the call here is not for David to remember. And in fact, the call here is not David telling us to remember. But what's going on is David is telling God, God, would you remember? Notice, if you will, verse 49. David says, remember your promises, or your promise, singular, remember your promise to me. Now, in this case, the promise is the Word of God. We're going to see that more clearly as we move deeper into our study. But David is saying, I want you to remember your promise to me. Now, when we hear that, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, that's a little bit irreverent. Now, I've got a real problem with somebody being disreverent to God. And it seems like if you just take this on surface value that David is being a little bit irreverent to God here. I mean, it's as if he's saying, God, I know you've got a problem with your memory, and so what I want you to remember is this. Now, honestly, if I was God, you'd probably have to do that a lot. We're all grateful I'm not God. I know that. But if, you, if I happened to be God, you would probably have to come and say, hey, by the way, I'm so-and-so. You'd have to tell me your name every single time. And then you'd have to say, and you told me you would do this, and therefore I'm kind of expecting that. Would you go ahead and deliver on that promise right now? But obviously we know there's a clear difference between me and God, right? I mean, the difference is vast. The difference is huge. David did not need to remind God. David did not need to restore the memory of God. And in fact, that's not at all what he's doing. David is, I guess, kind of like the... The, the child who his dad tells him, son, if you will, throughout the whole summer, if you'll mow the grass and you'll weed eat and you'll keep the yard looking good, then at the end of the summertime, I'm going to buy you that new bike you've wanted. And so there's great excitement in the child. The promise has been made and, and man, he works hard. He, he really puts his heart into it. He, he, he not only 
mows than weed eats, but then he goes around and makes sure through the rest of the week that the dandelions haven't sprung up. You know, they just seem to pop up overnight. And he worked hard keeping the yard looking so nice. He wanted it to be perfect because he badly wanted that bicycle. When summer ended, he went to his dad and he said, Dad, it's time, it's time. Do you remember what you promised me? You promised me that if I would keep the yard looking nice, and I have, Dad, I've worked hard. I mean, I have really worked hard. You've seen me out there. You know how hard I've worked to keep the yard looking nice. And, and Dad, summer's over and you promised, would you, would you go get that bike today? David now takes this to an an even greater level. Because at the end of verse 49, David says something that is first of all somewhat sad. But as we study it out a little more, we're going to find that it's actually beyond exciting instead of being sad. David said to God, would you remember your promise to me, O Lord? It is my only hope. Wow. Now, honestly, when I first read that, I thought, in relationship to the rest of the passage, David's got a real problem here. Because David was going through a time in his life when he was really struggling with other people. And we're going to read in just a minute how other people held him in utter contempt. They, they hated him. And so David didn't have the opportunity to turn to others and say, well, yeah, I've got some hope because I know my friends will rally around me. Now, whether this was a real or imagined situation for David, it really makes no difference because in his mind, he had no other hope. In his mind, he couldn't run out and, and turn to his friends and say, guys, I really need you to support me in this. I really need you backing me. Because he didn't think they would be there. So when David is crying out, it's not a, it's not a cry to God saying, you've got to remember this, but, it, but it's actually the truth. God, this is the only hope I have. And that hope is only found in your word. Now what's that all about? This second point opens this up a little bit for us. Number two, he shows us a promise to be held. A promise to be grasped, to be clung to. This promise that he asked God to remember. Remember your promise to me. It's my only hope. Now he, he details it out for us. Verse 50, 52, and 54. We're going to skip 51 and 53 for now. Verse 50, he says, your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. I meditate on your age-old regulations. Oh Lord, they comfort me. Your decrees have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. David starts in verse 50 and says, it comforts me in all my troubles. Man, David had experienced some problems. You just think about the trouble that David had faced in his life. I mean, first of all, as a little scrawny teenage kid, David faced a lion and a bear. Can you imagine? He was responsible for the sheep, and so he had to guard and protect the sheep. 
So when a lion came to attack and to steal one of the sheep, David did what he had to do. He put his life on the line to protect the sheep. And when a bear came, he did the same thing. He stood in between the sheep and the bear and fought the bear and killed the bear. And then the time came for this young teenager to face a warrior. But not just any warrior. It wasn't that he stood face to face with this warrior. He might have stood face to belt. Because this warrior was nine feet tall. And David knew what it was to have troubles. He knew what it was to face difficulties, to face problems. But not only that, David also faced a very jealous king and the entire army of Israel. The king was determined to find him, to capture him, and to kill him. And so he was chased all through the wilderness. David knew what it was to face problems. But not only that, David also knew what it was to face the consequences of his sinful action. David knew what it was to rebel against God and to face problems as a result of that rebellion. You remember when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he ended up killing her husband Uriah to hide the affair. God finally came through the prophet and pointed it out. He caught him on the carpet and as a result, the consequences of his sin were very painful. His young child died. Another one of his sons raped one of his sisters. This created friction and division in the family. So another son who was the brother of the sister, the full brother of the sister who was raped, rose up, divided the kingdom, and tried to kill David. Can you imagine that? Your own son. David knew what it was to face problems. David had been in a position with the rebellion to where he told us earlier in the chapter that he was face down in the dirt. He was ready to die. He thought death was certain to him. So when David says, I have found comfort and, and I've been revived through your word, this isn't just speak. It's not just talk. This is something that he has personally experienced. He has been there. This has been his life. He has found the comfort and the reviving from the Word of God. And so David says, he says, I know that the comfort that it has brought is not a one and done situation. And so as a result, I have to continually meditate on your word. I have to continually engage your word. I have to continually stay in your word because every time a problem arises, every time there's a difficulty, it is your word that brings comfort. It is your word that brings strength. In fact, David said, it is my only hope. I have no other hope. I'm so afraid that at times we get our eyes off of what's really important in life. I, I feel, maybe you're not this way, but, but for me in my life, I, I tend to, to put an importance on things that aren't really all that important in the grand scheme of things. 
I tend to lay an importance on those things that are difficult in my life. I tend to, I tend to try to, to, to put them as, as vital and, and try to pour all my energy and my efforts into them. When God has called me to something that is far greater, to an opportunity to know Him through His Word, an opportunity to put, put my hopes in something that is stable and something that will not change, an opportunity to put my hopes into something that, that will not fade away, that will not be different tomorrow, But will always bring hope and comfort. And so instead of investing so much time in those things that will change, David is trying to lead us in our thoughts to say, Hey, I've got to make the Word of God a priority for my life. I've got to make the Word of God that which is most important in my life. It's not something that I pour time into when I have extra time. But everything else fits into the extra time category. And the Word of God is my priority. David knew the significance and the importance of the Word of God. It is my only hope. Well, David's already given us a lot of information about this particular promise. And, but now he takes us a step further. Number three, David shows us an explanation to the need. An explanation to the need. In verse 51 and verse 53, he says, The proud hold me in utter contempt. They despise me. But I do not turn away from your instructions. I become furious with the wicked because they reject your instructions. So David has just shown us the difficulties, the problems in his life. And certainly there were great troubles for David. But now David begins to unveil this new aspect. How, how people are trying to bring him down. How people are trying to destroy him. And he gives us indication through this passage that there's so much going on. That the, the people are so, so trying to destroy his confidence in the word of God. That they're trying to turn his heart and his affection away from God's word. It seems that their intent was to make them as wicked as they were. That their intent was to get him to run in their circles, to get him to, to follow them and to pursue what they want to do in life. And yet David answers at the end of verse 51 and he says, It's not going to happen. <laughs> I am not going to turn my heart and my affection away from your word. And why was that? so resolute in his life because he had experienced what it meant to have the comfort and the peace from God's Word. He had experienced it personally. 
And as a result, he understood the only hope he had was found in the Word of God, and there was no way he was going to turn away from it again. He had done that before. He ended up at the point of death, face down in the dirt. He wasn't going to go back there. And so he said, I do not turn away from your instructions. See, the problem was the wicked people didn't know the value of God's Word. In fact, they rejected it altogether. And David said, it's okay. You want to despise me? You want to mock me? You want to hate me? Hey, that's well and good. But when you start mocking the Word of God, and all of a sudden you bridge into something that is very dangerous, and in David's mind was very despised, David said, you want to despise me? That's fine. The feeling's mutual. Because you have mocked God's Word. You know, I've kind of gone back and forth with this thought of, is that really the right thing to do? I mean, it, it appears David could not tolerate the wickedness of people and primarily when focused on the Word of God. And I got to thinking, this is not man's Word that we're talking about. This is not some really good person that wrote a really nice book. But this is the Almighty God speaking to us. And I really believe that we ought to hold it in that high of a regard. That we do not allow people to mock the Word of God. That we don't sit by as bashful or ashamed or quietly. But that we take a stand here. We take a stand on the Word of God. Now, how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? I think the biggest important aspect to this is that we know the Word of God. So then if the Word of God is a priority in my life, if the Word of God is that which I invest my time and I pour my time, then I'm going to know enough about the Word of God to be able to speak intelligently when someone starts to blast it. I'm going to have a knowledge of what God is telling me in His Word so that when someone is critical of God's Word, when somebody is mocking it, then I can take the stand that the Word of God deserves from me. David said, they have mocked me, but I will not turn from your Word. Well, there's one final thought, and here we come to what I consider to be the key to this passage. Uh, David, as if to show us, okay, this is all important, but it's somewhat insignificant without the one who's backing it. It's somewhat insignificant, the promise, without there being one who is strong enough to back up the promise. And so David now shows us the champion to be obeyed. Number four, the champion to be obeyed. 
verse 55. We're going to read 55 and 56 eventually. But the first part of verse 55 was a part that really caught me. David said, I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Now, now think about that for a second. Here we have the king of Israel. And from, from all that we understand about that day and time, what the Bible tells us, what history reveals, David wasn't necessarily just the king of Israel. He was, he was pretty much the king of the world. Now, the other people groups would not have said that he was their king. But when he spoke, they did what he told him, what he told them to do. I mean, he was that powerful. This was the mightiest king in his time. And so when David gave a word, a commandment, or told the nations what, they, what he expected from them, they did what he told them to do. He was that strong. And so here we have David, and, and unfortunately, many of us in the same situation would have turned a different thought at night. We would have probably been thinking about why we were so successful, why we had so much power, why we had so much authority. Maybe the thought would have been, okay, well, I've got to, I've got to make me a list of goals so that I can achieve more, and I've got to strengthen my regime. I, I've got to somehow come up with a plan that is going to, to keep me in charge of the world. So what do I need to do? And yet David was thinking so differently from that. David's thought was, God, I, I don't really want me to be the center of my thoughts. I want to know more about you. And so I will read your word. I will study your word. I will meditate on your word. And at night when I'm laying there and I can't sleep, God, I, I'm just going to rehash who you are. I believe that David would have wondered through the thoughts that God is the creator of the, the world. And not just the world, but the universe. And not just the universe, but the, the billions and billions of planets and stars. And, and I think David would have thought about God in relationship to his, his ability and his power. And if he could create the world, if he could speak and man come into existence, what, what kind of power does God possess? And I think that he probably would have thought about the, the, the enormous size of God, how he is everywhere present. I mean, who can say that, right? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're just little specks of humanity running around on a little marble compared to God. And God is everywhere. David said, if I go to the highest part of heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. I cannot run from your presence because you're everywhere. And I think David would have thought about the judgment of God and the discipline of God. And I think David would have thought about the, the, the grace and the mercy of God. 
Oh, David had experienced that. And I think David would have thought about the provision of God, the kindness of God, the love of God. And David laying there on his bed thought, God, I just want to know you more. I just want to know more about you. I want to understand more about you. I want you to be at the top and me at the bottom. And then we get to see the result of that thought process. Because David says, as we read on in verse 55 and 56, he says, I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, because I do this, because I've thought through who you are, and I've, I've put you in the proper place, therefore, I obey your instructions. And this is how I spend my life, obeying your commandments. Now here's why I thought this was such an important point. Because I'm afraid most of what's wrong with our world today, most of what's wrong with our nation today, most of what's wrong with our community today, and even what's mostly wrong with our church today is that we haven't put God in the proper place. We really haven't invested much time considering who God is. And as a result, we've made God small. We've made our problems bigger. We've made God to be one that we tap on his cage when we need him to come out and do something magically for us. Whereas if we would spend time thinking about who he is, if we would contemplate his power and his majesty, if we would meditate on his ability and his judgment and his discipline, if we would think about his love and his mercy and his grace for us, it might totally revolutionize what's important to us. It might completely change our outlook And we might find that God is where He's supposed to be. And our problems are where they're supposed to be in relation. And so what do we do with information like this? You know, I, I kind of hope it's obvious I kind of I hope, and in fact, I've been praying that, 
by the time we finish this discussion that we would all understand here's what I need to do with this information but let me just tell you what God has shown me maybe for you you've gotten something different and that's wonderful but I think that what we need to do is make it make it our desire make it the investment of our energy that we are going to know who God really is. Not what we've thought in the past. Not what the world wants us to believe. But that we're going to invest significant amount of time to know God more. And I think when we do that, that we're going to find us saying the exact same thing David said. You know what, God? When I did that, it just made me want to live in obedience to you even more. For those of us who have a difficult time, we find ourselves straying so often. I think when we put into perspective who God is, that that changes. For those of us who have a hard time putting aside greed, that when we put God into His proper place, that that's going to change. For those of us who've harbored anger and bitterness and hatred in our hearts, when we put God where He's supposed to be, that's going to change. Those of us who have struggled to do what God directs us to do, I think when we put God in His proper place, when we really see God for who He is, that's going to change. So then for the child of God, for us to say, God, I'm sorry that I've made you something you're not. Would you teach me? Would you grow me? Would you develop me to know you the way you really are? For those who do not know Christ as Savior, for you to understand, you need Jesus Christ. When we say this is your only hope, it's so true. It's your only hope. Being good won't help you in eternity. Being a good person, a nice person, having done more good than bad, won't amount to anything in eternity. It won't help you. The only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. May you today come to that understanding and come to know Jesus Christ as Savior.